Are you listening? Damn. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode four of Black Creatives Take Hollywood, conversations on industry representation from the perspective of black storytellers. I am your host, Casey Davis, and I am so glad to be back for another episode. Black Creatives Take Hollywood is being brought to you by my production company, Black Mind Productions. For those that do not know, Black Mind Productions is a media platform that is home to writing, directing, producing, podcasts, photography, and soon to come, short films and documentaries. This podcast, Black Creatives Take Hollywood, is home to raw and authentic conversations with current and upcoming Black creatives who have dreams of being in Hollywood. As we all know, the film industry is a wonderful place that is full of passion, drive, purpose, imagination, but most of all, stories. But in this industry, the representation of black creators, amongst others, is breaking in the industry with hopes to bridge this gap. With this podcast, you can expect to hear from a wide variety of black writers, directors, producers, cinematographers, editors, actors, and more. You can also expect a new guest every week for one hour of conversation as we discuss films, television, their passion for the industry, and their perspective on representation within the industry. So, let's just jump right on in. I have the great pleasure of introducing a new guest, and the guest of this week, my great friend, my best friend, Gregory Morgan, also known as Easton Gray. He is a writer and producer, and is currently working on his MFA degree in screenwriting here at DePaul University. So, Welcome, Easton. How are you feeling? I'm good. <laughs> Thank you for having me. How you feeling? You nervous? A little bit, yeah. Don't be nervous. It's going to be good. I'm happy you made that change to episode four. Okay. You know, I hate odd numbers, so. Greg does not, Easton does not <clears throat> like odd numbers, so. <laughs> he was supposed to be episode three, but he wanted to be a difficult guest, so I made accommodations for that. You know, the professional of me. So welcome to episode three slash four. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you begin with introducing yourself to our listeners? Just let them know who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you currently do. Yeah. Um, as you said, I'm Gregory Morgan. Better known as Easton Gray, well, hopefully one day. Um, screenwriter and newly discovered producer um, from Flint, Michigan. Um, if anyone doesn't know where that is, it's maybe about 45 minutes to an hour away from Detroit. I know everybody knows where that is. Period, hometown. <laughs> um, and, you know, getting my screenwriting degree, my MFA, um, here at DePaul, as you said. Um, I've been writing for quite a bit of time since I was in high school. I've been screenwriting, but I've been writing stories since, like, elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, 27, and I like long walks on the beach. Oh, my God. Actually, that's a lie, because I do not like the beach. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just being extra. <laughs> All right, so what would you say pushed you to pursue a career in writing and make that your purpose and your passion? I think it's the fact that 
I've always had an overactive imagination mm-hmm. and I've always seen different stories playing out in my head. And when I was younger, I never wanted to be a person that was in front of the camera. I was camera shy, so pictures was not a thing for me. Um, Being on like recordings wasn't a thing, so I'm like, but I've always wanted to be in the entertainment industry because I grew up watching a lot of um, television shows and a lot of films. I'm like, you know what? Oh my gosh, I want to do that. So, I kind of knew I always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know I wanted to be a screenwriter until um, maybe undergrad. That's when I really learned what screenwriting actually was. Right. Because before then, I was just, like I said, writing stories. And maybe my senior year of high school, before I knew there was screenwriting software... I would actually hand write all of my scripts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, you know, I didn't know anything about screenwriting at that time mm-hmm. because everything was, it was just dialogue between the characters. And so I didn't know about scene directions mm-hmm. and character descriptions and all that. I just saw the idea. And I just went to writing. Right. And it would I would go through a whole spiral notebook. For one script. For one script. <laughs> just sitting there in my room writing all day. My grandma would come in, what are you doing? I'm writing the next big movie. Okay. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> Using 150 pages of composition paper. Honestly. With no scene direction. Right. But so that, that I just time, bought you that thicker, thick packet of paper yesterday. How's it already gone? <laughs> Grandma, mind your business. Okay. And then you probably had some paper balled up from the pack. I, honestly. That you started over and over and over and over and over. Yep. You know. She definitely hated that. <laughs> so was there any um, like specific shows that you saw growing up that gave you the motivation to write a specific genre or was the things that you've seen on TV as you were a child, that that pushed you to do the creative writing that you do now? Seeing that there, we didn't see a lot of people that were in the LGBTQ plus community. We didn't see a lot of um, black faces on screen. And, like, yeah, we've seen them a lot back in, like, late 80s. The 90s was, like, a huge time mm-hmm. for black TV. But all of those shows got canceled, like, mid-season. And then we had, like, early 2000s where we had, you know, like, Girlfriends, 101, Half and Half, The Parkers, Everybody Hates Chris. But then we had a huge gap from, like, Everybody Hates Chris to everything black being pushed to like BET and then now we're starting to see more representation on cable and on regular broadcast TV so how did what you see how did what you seen as a child on television push you to be 
a creative writer today? I would definitely say what I saw on TV gave me that creative bug. Um, But if we're talking about creative writing representation wise, Mm -hmm. um, it didn't. I didn't start, I don't think I started to really dive into representation that matters until college. Okay. Because even growing up, I grew up watching all those, you know, black sitcoms. I loved them. That was my childhood, you know, but then that was only, you know, a small part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, the other bigger part came from, you know, Nickelodeon and like um, Disney Channel. And so in high school and middle school, when I was writing stories, I wasn't really thinking about, oh, I need to make my characters black. You know, I need to represent them. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't thinking, I need to represent LGBTQ characters. Back then, for me, it was just writing a story that I connected with, mm-hmm. and that was mostly adventure, fantasy, those kind of things. Okay. Um, but then when I got to college and I started watching more, I guess, adult-ish shows, that's when I started to see and actually notice, like, wow, there really is a lack of minority groups on TV. Right. And so going forward, that's what propelled me um, and gave me that drive to make sure that we, as a black community, Mm -hmm. are represented. Mm -hmm. You know, my community, my other community, as LGBTQ, is represented. Mm -hmm. You know, and so now a lot of those characters really do come out in my writing now. And my, the representation that I write about has nothing to do with what I saw on TV. Mm -hmm. It has a lot to do with how I was raised. So a lot of my main characters in my um, TV shows and movies, those characters are black women because I was raised by a lot of black women. Mm -hmm. My mom, my aunt, my grandmother, Um, my sister-in-law and so I put those characters at the forefront of my writing right and then you know the the next group is obviously the LGBTQ characters Mm -hmm. you know and so I find a medium and a story that I can incorporate them and make them a cohesive unit mm-hmm. that for positive storytelling right. and representation. If do, you, that makes sense. do you find it easier to write black women than black men because you were raised more so by women? Absolutely. And also with the fact that, you know, as a 
as a gay gay man, I feel like I kind of what's the word I'm looking for resonate mm-hmm. more with females than I do with um, men. Like mm-hmm. I say it all the time, you know, it's hard for me to interact with straight men because not all of them are as tolerant or as open to connecting and interacting Mm -hmm. with gay guys. Mm -hmm. And it's real, you know, it's real frustrating. Right. And then the gay characters that I do write is based off of kind of my upbringing. And so my characters, they struggle with their coming out. Yeah. And I give them, you know, when those characters are ready to come out and be their true authentic selves, I write um, those characters that love and support them. Right. You know, and I think it's about, you know, it's important to show that there are those nice and loving coming out stories Mm -hmm. but then there are some that don't go as planned as planned Mm -hmm. um but it's still important to show those stories yeah you know good and bad and then at the end of the day end on the loving and supportive either family members or friends right so I love that so when it comes to like your writing process, mm-hmm. what exactly does that look like? Paint a picture for yeah. our listeners. Well, I can go with the process that some institutions try to get you to consider, which is coming up with a planning process and Mm -hmm. starting with fleshing out your characters then fleshing out your story Mm -hmm. coming up with a you know a series bible or pitch deck which are you know two things if you're writing a tv show um a series bible is it is the heart of your show it's basically writing a dictionary for your show Mm -hmm. you know that's where you'll find your characters thoroughly plotted out that's where you'll find the setting Mm -hmm. the different places that your characters will be all the the time Mm -hmm. yeah the world um that's where you'll find you know themes that you're going to talk about and explore um just really in-depth creation of your show and then you know a pitch deck is kind of like the series bible Mm -hmm. but just a little bit less and that's when you're going to pitch to a network or someone pitch your show to them um and so what i've been learning is that that's how most people want you to start that's not how i start right because normally i come up with i my entire note section of my phone there's a section called TV and movies. And it's literally nothing but ideas that I just randomly come up with. Mm-hmm. 
for shows and movies. Mm -hmm. And some of them are very thought out. Some of them are. (laughs) Some of them are like six words, and I'm like, Okay. When did I even come up with Literally, this? what the fuck was I trying to say here? <laughs> but, okay, we'll right, go with it. Right. Um, so, I normally start with the idea, mm-hmm. and then I can, for the most part, see the idea in my head. So, I start writing the pilot <clears throat> or the movie right away, and then I circle back to, to, build. to build everything out. And it's interesting, because those listening... Um, Easton and I had a conversation not too long ago about that because if you all heard, listened to the episode with um, Quintrell Rogers, uh, episode two, um, we talked about like building, you know, TV shows, and he was sharing some of the things that he was creating, and I was sharing with him how I'm developing my own TV show, and I've been. In the process of it for like a little bit over a year now, but I was stuck in certain phases. And so I had like this heart to heart (laughs) with Easton about like, how do I get from point A to point B? And then sometimes he told me like, sometimes you just have to skip certain letters. You don't always have to go A, B, C, D. Sometimes you got to go C, A, D, B. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just, sometimes you might have to jump from C to Z because as you go along and you write out um, what's in your head and in your phone and take it to actually write it on note cards or like bulletin boards or whatever, you can piece things together better Mm -hmm. if you can see them visually. So, um, I'm actually taking that advice of writing the pilot episode first and then I believe that that'll help me further build the rest of my world and like my characters and just the plot of everything that's going to happen but I can tell y'all this (laughs) your girl got a show on her hands I feel like I got an Emmy coming I'm feeling like Quinta Brunson and Issa Rae and Shonda Rhimes I'm feeling like you know that black woman who's going to get that Emmy one day and a couple Oscars or something you never know you never know but um he you just gave some great advice because I know like everybody's process is completely different every filmmaker isn't the same and when me and Control were talking um I was saying that a lot of people on the outside who are looking at filmmakers Mm -hmm. one they think that this job is very easy and it's not it doesn't matter if you're a writer, director, producer, cinematographer, sound designer, editor, production designer. It does not matter. <laughs> every piece of the film industry is hard, and you need every last single person on your crew to be able to help you like piece together that final project. Um, writers have writer's block. Directors get stuck on how to you know, get direction. Um, and not in a bad way. Cinematographers, we get stuck with the, okay, which camera do we use? How do we help our lighting team develop <laughs> the mood and the tone and the setting based upon what the writers gave us to, you know, execute visually? Mm-hmm. Producers 
have their own hiccups as well on how the production is going to be funded and how is it going to be executed the entire time that they're filming. And we do run into hiccups during the time that we are filming. And so um, I was also saying in earlier episodes that for us filmmakers, this is literally our child. So we take everything literal. <laughs> we take constructive criticism. We don't take the constructive part. We more nine times out of ten take the criticism part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't like we we appreciate the the feedback because we need that and we look for that. But when we feel like it's getting a little bit too. Eh, almost like you trying to judge it too much it's like hold on because this is my baby I take this like it's my actual child how people look at pets how people who have children look at their children that's how we look at our craft because this is art this is a journey we're not just writing stuff down and just telling a story because it sounds good no we're taking our creative pieces of our brains and making magic on and off the screen Whatever people see on that screen, that's the end project. But everything that happens before it hits a theater, it hits a television, it hits a network, that entire process is long, it's hard, it's stressful. <laughs> we have plenty of countless, um, countless days where we lose sleep, where we're up contemplating if we made the right decision <laughs> to be in this industry. Um, and so I just appreciate like your transparency already 20 something minutes into the episode, because I definitely know that like you can relate to those experiences that right. we have as filmmakers, because yeah, to where like your specialty is writing and producing mine is currently cinematography I'm and, and directing. And I'm looking into that screenwriting path we're still filmmakers as a whole all together. So I don't know. How do you feel about that? Can you relate to that? I'm pretty sure you can, but you know, definitely. Um, like everything you said, 110%. And, you know, <clears throat> going back to the constructive criticism part, mm-hmm. Taking all the criticism and none of the constructiveness. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like for, as a writer, that's, that's like 50% of our job. Yep. You know, half of it is writing the script. Cool. Then you send it off to studio, whatever. Mm -hmm. They make their edits. They give you criticism constructive criticism right <laughs> and they said we like this but how about you change this or what if we did this huh okay and in some of those situations you don't have a choice but to change it mm -hmm. because they're paying you to do it yeah but if it's something that you know that you're writing for fun and you have other people look at or something that you have more control mm -hmm. over the script, you can do what you want. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, taking these screenwriting classes here at DePaul, you know, they're great. The faculty are 
experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) They want us to learn and grow. But sometimes I feel like they don't understand that their main thing is we're getting you prepared for the industry. I get that, but I'm not there yet. So I need you to not talk to me like I'm in the industry. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's doing nothing for either one of us. Right. Because to me, it sounds like you're saying that my writing isn't good. Mm-hmm. But there's two perspectives there of course there's mine as the writer yours as the reader right yes you're as the reader as the professor as the person actually working in the industry Mm -hmm. you may have a point to what you're saying but as the writer and creator so do i so if i don't want to get rid of a character i'm not going to get rid of that character Especially as a student who is learning as you go through the process. Honestly. I can see if you were, like, already had your degree, you were, like, 10, 15 years in the game, and then your writing was, like, trash. I wouldn't really use the word trash, but it wasn't, or it's not as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. Especially when it relates to how audiences perceive it. Because essentially we are writing the story for ourselves, but the the end goal is to make it to where our audience can like it, love it, relate to it, yeah. you know, learn something from it. Because, um, you know, there are people in the industry, won't really say too many names, but we know, Absolutely. where... Writing could be a little better. A lot of bit better. Um, <laughs> but I think that's where the beauty of the constructive criticism comes from. Because you can tell where, and I'm saying this with such grace, not to sound bogus. But you can tell as a filmmaker, looking at how TV shows are executed and how you can relate to characters in the story, you can tell who actually has a background in film that has it for a while or has been taught properly. And then you can also tell within the industry who kind of just did it out the whim and then they just like, oh, I'm, I'm such and such now. And it's like, okay, well, your writing isn't like, Shonda Rhimes. Right. Your writing isn't like Mar Brock Kills. Your writing isn't like Issa Rae's or Quinta Brunson's. Your writing is like your writing, which is great because we never, as filmmakers, our job is to never overly judge and criticize each other because we all know how the industry is, <laughs> whether you're in film or television. But people also have to understand that just because we're in the same industry, that does not mean we have to like everybody's stuff. Absolutely. And I've had those conversations before where they're like, oh, it just seems like you're a little harsh because when you break in, what if people don't like your stuff? That's fine. Everybody's not going to like <laughs> what I create, what I produce, what I write, what I direct. People, Everybody's not going to like my sense of direction and creativity. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that 
I'm not going to be friends with this person or work with this person on something different. But there's a lot of, there's certain people in the industry now where their work, the story is great, but the execution is not there. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to have those conversations, sometimes even with filmmakers, because it comes off aggressive and it comes off very like, oh, so you think you're better than them? It's like, no, I don't think I'm better than them at all. But they're like, I don't only view things as a filmmaker. I also view things as an audience member. Yeah. I, when I, whenever I watch something, I have to watch it twice. The first time I watch it, I watch it as an audience member. And sometimes that's very difficult because the filmmaker in me, as a cinematographer, I'm looking at how like the shots were. Is it a medium close-up? Is it a close-up? Is it a um is it a over the shoulder? How why is this over the shoulder? They they went a little too far to the right, to the left. They a little too centered. This mm-hmm. not they're not placed on the left or the right third. But then I'm also looking at it as in lighting wise, like mm, they could have enhanced that green. They could have, you know, brought that that red up a little bit. Why did they like this scene, this color, when they could have went that color? But then I'm also perceiving it as like sometimes as an audience member based upon like dialogue. Like, mm, I feel like they could have, I don't know how this was written or what the direction was, but A, B, C, D. And I feel like we, we overanalyze things in general. And it's not to be rude to the writer, the director, the actors or anything. But I feel like each department in the industry, we all look at everything as a whole. Well, first we look at everything based upon what our core field is. But then we look at everything as a whole, but then we have to watch it the next time. The second or third time is like, okay, now I'm watching this as a filmmaker. And it's very hard for me to watch things the first time as just an audience member. Absolutely. Because I can I can do fine for like five minutes. But after that, it's like, okay, I'm watching this, but why is he faced in the center? And they're breaking the 180 line. It's like, uh, it's so hard. Yeah. Do you have that? Yeah, I was actually watching a show earlier. And it was one of my favorite shows. And in in one scene, it was it was nighttime, and the characters were on top of a a roof, and they were looking out into the distance. And you know, they're firefighters, and you know they were they had a moment of silence, and then someone said. Do you smell that? They're like, oh, yeah, fire. And then they rushed off. And in the next scene, they were dealing with the fire, but it was daytime. (laughs) So, and there was no uh, clear distinction of, is this that same fire they smelled? Or is this a whole different day? Right. And And I thought about that. I'm like, it was just nighttime in the last scene. Now it's daytime. Or, or like, is I'm it? Is, are, have they been fighting the same fire exactly. the entire time? Now, was there any dialogue after that that gave you a clear indication? You know, like, if the fire started at night and then the next scene jumps to, like, daytime, 
was there any initial lines that said something like, oh my God, we've been, this fire has been going on all night. Nope. We finally got a calm or something. Nope. So there was never any. No. Nope. Indica- wow. It was the nighttime scene. Like, do you smell that fire? They rush off next scene, daytime. They're driving to the fire. They pull up to the fire. And to this, <laughs> to this day, to this moment, I still don't know if it was this, supposed to be the same day right or, or if it's a day. new day now and that's interesting because i feel like that come that comes to play with like how things are edited as well mm-hmm. as well as written because it's like naturally nine times out of ten the average audience um like person or viewer they wouldn't normally catch that but like us I'm going to catch it, and I'm going to tweet about it. Like, So I'm watching hashtag X, Y, and Z. Why is it that X, Y, and Z just happened, and who was in charge of this editing? Like, what's going on? Literally. <laughs> I, I, I just find things like that very interesting, like how we, how filmmakers, we are literally, we're visual, like, Creators, but then we're also very like physical and hands-on creators as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with all that being said, who would you say is your favorite writer? Shonda Rhimes. And how <laughs> do you, as a writer, relate to that person? Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> Um, he didn't let me get the question out, boy. <laughs> Sean the Rhyme. The Sean the Rhyme, honey. <laughs> um, I have been following her work since undergrad. Mm-hmm. And the first show of hers that I watched was Scandal. Scandal. And I know she had shows out before Scandal, mm-hmm. but Scandal is just where I started. Um, and just the the writing in that show mm-hmm. was just oh my gosh. It was so good. And the the moments that she had that she puts in that show was just Shonda. What are you doing? Like that? It, it was. It was good. Yeah. And it it, it, it leaves you coming back for more. Mm-hmm. Like episode after episode. You know, it was on Netflix when I started watching, and so I was binging that first season. And I, at the time, I can't remember how many seasons were on Netflix, but it was still it was still on TV at the time. So I can't remember. No, no, it was not on Netflix. I think it was actually because one of my friends in undergrad I used to watch was her and her roommates. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was on a streaming platform, but maybe it was actually, I don't know. But I just know. That's where you started. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I would, and I knew, you know, 
It was on some type of platform. It was probably Hulu, actually. It's probably Hulu. Because it was still on TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would stream the episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was probably Hulu, to be honest. And it was just, I'm like, oh my gosh. How dare you? Wrote <laughs> something so good. And then, you know, later on, I discovered I'm, I was never a person to watch Grey's Anatomy. I watched like the first season, tried to get through it. Shonda, honey, you had too many seasons. So, my mama so loved sorry. that show. Oh my God. I'm sure it's a good show, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was another show that she, cre- that she created, which I'm sad that they canceled it. It was called The Catch. Oh my God, that was good too. Mm-hmm. So good. And then came, you know, How to Get Away with Murder. And then I went back and I watched um, Private Practice. Mm-hmm. I think she had a hand in that too. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Private Practice was a good show. Oh, it was so it. good. Yes. I love the direction that they had with that show. Absolutely. And so, you know, she's my favorite writer. And I look up to her. Mm-hmm. I am so fascinated with the characters that she creates. The character, her characters go through so many trials and tribulations, mm-hmm. and then at the end, there's so much character development and growth within them, mm-hmm. and then just her plot lines and her stories, and you know, Scandal was like, like a political type of show. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm into stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, her, I think my genre matches her genre of writing. Okay. And I would, it would be a dream to literally like write for her, with her. Mm-hmm. You know, be under her and exactly. have her as her mentor. You know, yeah, yeah. For those, he's being very, <laughs> what's the word, um, selective with his words. He is a huge Shonda Rhimes fan. He's not even going as hard as he could go, <laughs> <laughs> and I know this personally. Um, so, how do you, as a writer? relate to how she executes her writing well a lot of her characters are in the beginning flawed there's You know, there's something about them that most people, you know, if we knew that person in real life, we'll probably, I don't know, kind of be ah, taken aback by them. You know, Mm -hmm. Olivia Pope, she was sleeping with the president. (laughs) (laughs) And we've seen, we've seen 
we've seen some stuff in actual politics like that. So <laughs> um, she wasn't too far off. Right. <laughs> Annalise Keating, she covered up murders. We've seen people <laughs> had a drinking too. problem. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and so I think my characters tend to be flawed in some way also mm-hmm. because I feel like when you make flawed characters that's that's the best type of character because there's so much you can do mm-hmm. with that because it's it becomes one of those things where it's like if you hit a dead end like I don't know what else to do with this character oh I forgot they're an alcoholic Let's throw that wrench mm-hmm. into the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, or they're, I don't know, a sex addict. Oh, <laughs> let, let, let's throw some people in their way. Okay. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I feel like I tend to create those flawed characters just like her. You know, I tend to, I feel like with Shonda and her shows, there's, you're watching, you're watching, and there's a lot of, oh my God, I didn't even see that coming. Mm-hmm. I try to emulate that. That unpredictable writing. Yeah. I love a writer where you can't predict what's going to happen. You can have assumptions, but nine times out of ten, it's going to be wrong. Absolutely. Nine times out of ten. Or you're somewhat in the ballpark, but they're going to string you along more and more just to get you eager. And I, I love that you said you write flawed characters because... I think that's a good way to write characters as well because it gets the audience members very engaged and invested in what's next. Mm-hmm. What's like, okay, how does this situation turn out? Okay, well, I can kind of see how this is going to turn out, but then this also was just snuck in in this episode, so now I know something extra is going to happen, but I don't know when. So having characters start off flawed is really good but I also think having characters too that start off that where you don't see as many flaws but if you can build up to knowing that something is going to happen I think Mm -hmm. that that's like good as well like if you start off like a royal family or something and it's like oh looking at it it's like oh they got all this money they got these private jets and yeah. this big house what and all these cars. They, they got like three kids who went to Harvard. Exactly. They but then they what? at the end of episode one, they walk into, <laughs> I don't know, the royal bathroom. And then you see the daughter sleeping with the butler or something. Okay. And it's like, damn. While she's doing a line of coke. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, shooting up. With her and, brother, brother slaughter on the floor next to her. I mean, right. And then she... Never mind. I'm not going to go that far. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think just knowing how to build characters, mm-hmm. I think that is what, what makes the story great. Yeah. Outside of, like, directing, you know, the actors and the actors themselves, because they have to do... They do such amazing work um, with... Um, Studying the character that they're portraying, and then also, what's the word? Presenting that character to us and putting that character into 
real life and bringing that character to everyday situations. Definitely. So, yeah, I thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. That was that was nice. He he didn't even let me get sh- the the question <laughs> out. He said shout out the rhymes. So when it comes to the industry and how we are represented as a culture, where do you feel we stand now seeing that, yes, there are black faces on the screen and off the screen. How do you feel the industry is now with treating our culture and being inclusive? That's a loaded question, so... (laughs) It's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was sitting in something. I forgot where I was, but the other day, um, I was talking to someone probably at work. I don't know. And we were talking about TV shows and movies, and someone said, you know... I think it's great how black people are starting to be represented better in film and TV. I'm like, it is a start, isn't it? And they go, what do you mean a start? Like, don't you think that we're, you know, fully there? No. No. We... There is so much more that needs to be done, mm-hmm. that needs to be represented. You know, it's, we, I don't know, I just, I just feel like we are not past, we are not at the finish line We are not close to the finish line. Mm -hmm. I would like to see, you know, more um, black writers, more black filmmakers in general Mm -hmm. doing the damn thing out there. Um, I would like to see, you know, more black female characters represented better. And not low budgetly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, more black female superheroes. You know, more black females in those action type roles. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, someone who's kind of leading the charge on females in action roles is Queen Latifah doing the equalizer. Yeah. She's doing a kick-ass job in that role. Mm-hmm. And it's like it just it, it, it blows my mind because I never thought that I would see her in a role like that. Mm-hmm. Not saying that she couldn't do it. 
But it's just like, you know, you see her in Living Single. You see her in... Beauty Shop, Bringing Down the House, Taxi. Um, Where'd she play Cleo? Oh, Set It Off. I was going to say Set It Down. Please be quiet. I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> and like... <laughs> you know, she played all those different characters, mm-hmm. but it's like with some actors and actresses, you can see, oh, they're playing this character now. It was about time because their different roles kind of gave stepping stones mm-hmm. leading up to that. Mm-hmm. But when I saw that Queen Latifah was going to be the equalizer in this TV show, I'm like, that's new. That's different. Mm-hmm. I love Queen Latifah. Mm-hmm. Let me watch that. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Bomb ass show. So good. Mm-hmm. We need more. Yeah. You know, even Jada Pinkett Smith, she was in an episode of that playing an action mm-hmm. type character. We need more of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of tired of seeing the same old, you know, Black females in lesser roles or in the characters that are, you know, battered women who are beat on and not treated fairly. And then they go through this whole process. And then in the end of the show or movie, they're kind of still where they are, but just a little bit more elevated. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. And for those people out there writing those roles who want to break them, don't be. (laughs) He's not saying that's for you all to not write them. Absolutely. But we're trying to break as many stereotypes and depictions as we can. Definitely. To bridge that gap. Yeah. Like, right now, I'm writing a show. Don't say too much now. Let me just explain. If I see this show out there, I'm coming for somebody. Don't say too much, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she's a she's a black a black woman, and in the end, you know, she ends up owning a major sports team mm-hmm. worth worth billions. A black female. Owning a sports team. Mm-hmm. And I did the research about that. And it's like, there's, I think there's maybe a few teams that are owned by women, but they're not women of color. And they are teams that were either A, passed down from a previous owner in their family being a dad, an uncle, a grandfather, a brother, mm-hmm. a male owning a team, and then passing it down to mother, sister, daughter, cousin. Right. You know, but it's like this character, you know, she fights to to own this team. It doesn't get handed to her anymore. I changed that. Um, it doesn't get handed to her anymore. <laughs> um, and like she has to 
you know, obviously fight the repercussions that come with that. Yeah, her own trials and tribulations. Yeah, but it's like, it's more roles like that where they end up in totally better, you know, positions, I guess. Yeah. So... With that being said, and hearing how Shonda Rhimes is your favorite writer, and hearing some of the directions that you want to go with your writing, are there any specific goals that you want to accomplish during your career? Yeah. I want to, obviously, win awards. You know, at the end of the day, I understand it's not all about the awards, but, you know, winning an Emmy, winning an Oscar, mm-hmm. that that shows to me that, wow, people actually do like the things that I write about, mm-hmm. especially since we know the Oscars. Um, mostly a certain type of person wins mm-hmm. um, and those people aren't always from our community and so I think that's validation yeah um, I would like to create the next major franchise um, I have ideas in my head Mm -hmm. of different intellectual properties that I want to play around with Mm -hmm. and for those who don't know intellectual intellectual properties are those franchises they are things that you own but they but that have um a following behind them, kind of. Mm-hmm. So, like, Marvel is an intellectual property, you know, superheroes, da-da-da. Right. You know, um, even, like, groups of movies. Um, Avatar. Yeah. You know, so things like that. So, you didn't know what intellectual property was. It's important to have those, actually. Okay. Um, because when you have an intellectual property, I feel, and you put that out into the world, make sure you own it, so that mm-hmm. way you can get those earnings or royalties and everything yeah Mm -hmm. but like when you have that it's good because it strikes up a following and then when you go on to create the next franchise or the next singular show or movie Mm -hmm. that following comes over with you you know so I would love to do that um I would love to work with some of the people that I love, um, like Shonda Rhimes. Um, I would love to create, I think my dream is to take some of the actors that I really love and write a role that is like perfect for them. Mm-hmm. Everyone who knows me knows I love Tom Holland, period, point blank. Sorry, <laughs> Zendaya. <laughs> <clears throat> but I would love to Sorry, work. Sweet. <laughs> I would love to work with Tom Holland. Like I would 
I want to write a role. And he's like, oh my God, I never thought about playing this type of character before. Mm-hmm. I know, that's why I wrote it. You know, I would love to work with Queen Latifa. Um, I just have this entire laundry list of people that I want to work with. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I get the chance to. Well, I that was going to be my next question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you said, well, I'm like, um, it's over. I'm like, well, no, <laughs> it's fine. Because you named some, you named certain people. But I want to be, make this one catered to the black community. So if okay. you can name five people that you want to work with, meet, however, from the black community that are in the industry, Carrie who Washington. would they be? <laughs> <laughs> who would they be? That's it. Carrie Washington, mm-hmm. Shonda Rhimes, mm-hmm. Queen Latifah, um... Uh-oh. I got a little stuck. He's stuck on three now. He's stuck on three. (laughs) I'm going to answer after you. It's always hard to get the five. Because there's so many people that's in your head. Literally. And it doesn't have to be a specific order. So you said Shonda Rhimes, Queen Latifah, Kerry Washington. Um... Loretta Devine. Oh my gosh. I love her. The mother. Love her. That's the mother of all mothers, honey. Either. Maybe six. Five. (laughs) Okay, well, then number five is going to have two people then. Oh my God. (laughs) Jennifer Lewis. No slash. And or. (laughs) Tracy Ellis Ross. Oh my gosh. Okay, mine always changes. Some people stay the same. But I would do Quinta Brunson. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people think that I just now found a new appreciation of her. No, I've always loved Quinta. But I think that seeing how... Quickly, she rose to success, pushes that motivation for me and that drive. Not that my steps will be exactly the same as hers. Like, I, not to say that whatever I create isn't going to be great, but I'm not looking to be like, oh, in my first season, I need to win an Emmy because Quinta won. She didn't even, (laughs) like, she knew her show was like it, but she was like, I didn't even think it was going to. You know, like an Emmy in the first season. But um, just like her drive and like her humbleness about everything is just pure. And it it's, I don't even know where I'm looking for. Um, it just makes you feel good to know that there are people out there that can create and that you relate to. So meeting her would be a dream come true and working with her. Um, Issa Rae, Tracy Ellis Ross, 
It changes every time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Angela Bassett. Ah. And Denzel Washington. He's mm-hmm. always going to be on my list, too. I always tend to say more women than men, not just because I'm a black woman, <laughs> but I always just tend to say more women than men. Because, of course, there's like Will Smith, there's Michael B. Jordan, you know, my husband. Um, <laughs> it would have been the late Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. I absolutely adored him. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Lakeith Stanford's, the Jonathan Majors, but there's so many people. Like, of course, I want to meet Kerry Washington. I want to meet um, Octavia Spencer, Viola Davis, Loretta Devine. Like, I want to meet so many people. Whoopi Goldberg. Um, yes. Oh, my oh God. My Whoopi? If I meet <laughs> Auntie Whoop. Whoop, whoop. Little Auntie Whoop. <laughs> Baby, I'm falling out because the color purple. Is in my top five of favorite <laughs> films of all time. She bodied that role and was cheated on her Oscar. We're not going to get on that. Um, <laughs> of course, Oprah automatically makes the cut. Like, she's literally the blueprint for me wanting to be a mogul. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Kiki Palmer. So, like, mm-hmm. I understand, like, that hesitation. I, act, I always ask that as the last question. because Not to trip everyone up, all my guests up, but b- because I know... Everybody has that pause, like, huh? Right. It's so many people that I want to meet, and I'm not not naming them to not be inclusive. It's just when you got to narrow it down to five. Right. That's hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. And then, um, someone that I would love to be my mentor. Mm-hmm. Not even from a filmmaker standpoint, mostly from like a business standpoint, is Jay Z. Mm. Because I feel like, and it's not because I love his wife. <laughs> <laughs> we have a beehiver over here. Okay. I'm not as, you know, over the top as some, but I am a fan. Um, <clears throat> but I just. I know that in the industry, I don't want to just focus on film. You know, I would love to get on the business side of things also. Yeah. You know, invest in people, things, businesses, um, own a couple companies that are outside of the film world. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of up that generational wealth yeah that I would be creating for my kids and future yeah, you know kids and things like that yeah. and I feel like a lot of people don't understand that like he's super successful in all that yep it's not just music you know and sometimes in my opinion you know I love Jay-Z's music I would say that he's like it's like 5149 <laughs> between like 51 business 49 music oh, gotcha. you know okay. that really uh, yeah that's the okay. right <laughs> <laughs> yeah like 51% business and 49% music and like he just has uh 
a very business savvy mindset to him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like not a lot of people will talk about that enough. That's true. Well, I'm going to give you a bonus Uh-oh. question as your last question before oh, we that's wrap. It? Yes. This has been fun. <laughs> I don't want to stop talking. Um, this is your moment oh. to be very profound. Oh. So, as Gregory Morgan, soon to be known as Easton Gray, if you were to give any advice to upcoming black filmmakers, what would you say to them? Create what you know and create what means the most to you. If you are a writer, create characters that you can resonate with. Mm-hmm. Because when you do that, then it makes the process of writing a bit easier. Because like you know these characters like the back of your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> create create, create. Don't ever let anyone stop you. Don't ever let someone tell you, oh, that's, you can't do that. That's not physical to do. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Do what you want. Um... Specifically for writing, if you are an avid reader, I would say read books in the genre you want to write in um, and don't never, and I feel like this goes on, not just writers, but everyone, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> watch, watch TV watch films not just for the enjoyment but also for the ideas Mm -hmm. you know some people say well I don't want to do that because I don't want to steal an idea it's not stealing an idea if you are taking a structure of a show you like and making it your own it becomes stealing (laughs) When you have the same characters, the same problems, the same world, you know, not really the world because the worlds can look the same, but different things can happen in them. That's true. But use the shows that you love, use the movies you love as a blueprint and don't be afraid to watch outside of what you normally watch. Mm -hmm. If you're a person that normally watches cop shows and you want to write a cop show, that's great. You love Law & Order? Beautiful. So do I. But don't just watch Law & Order only. Go out there, you know, watch some superhero movies. Mm -hmm. You know, watch, watch movies that confuse you. Watch movies that intrigue you. Watch movies and TV shows that 
you would sit here and say, wow, I would have never thought to watch this. Even if it's kid shows. I can tell you, kid shows, some people may not be all for them, Mm -hmm. but they teach us more than normal adult shows. And honestly, when you're writing or making a film, you have to kind of be flexible. If someone says, hey, I've loved what you, I've been watching your work, you know, I love what you did here, but I have this, this animated kid show I want you to work on. That's an opportunity. Don't be afraid to take new opportunities that may push you out your comfort zone and scare you a little bit. Don't live in fear. Just go for it. Just do it. Nike. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was very profound and very well said. I think our listeners will appreciate those words of advice because this industry is scary Um, it's very challenging and it's a lot of hard work but when you are at those final stages and you can finally see what you created all all of that hard work that you did it makes you feel good to think back and say it Whatever went down placed me in this moment right here where you are proud to be a filmmaker. Yeah. So to everyone in the industry that we love, that we see all the time, we can't wait to meet (laughs) (laughs) y'all. And to everyone who is coming up, we can't wait to work with you and create magic because we're about to get that baton passed to us. So... Yeah, everyone who's coming up after us, we're trying. We're trying. We got you. Okay. We, we're gonna it's we're gonna, gonna help you <laughs> as best as we can. Yes. Well, thank you, Greg, aka Easton. You're welcome. <laughs> Casey, for coming AKA on. AKA Chrysanthemum. Okay. For coming Greg's the only person who called me that. <laughs> um for coming on to this episode. Uh, I really appreciate you taking your time out to share your experiences, your story, your wisdom, and share some laughs. Yeah. I love being on episode four. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, this concludes episode four of Black Creatives Take Hollywood, conversations on industry representation from the perspective of black storytellers. I am your host, Casey Davis, and again, this podcast is being brought to you by my production company, Black Mind Productions. If you don't already follow, please go on Instagram and search at Black Mind Productions. Hit that follow button, scroll through, like some things, share some things, comment on some things, (laughs) and just also continue to be on the lookout for um, current and upcoming content, announcements, surprises, etc. Um, we will be joined 
on the next episode next week. I won't tell you all who is going to be on, but dun, dun, dun. it's going to be a great episode. So, um, I always want to thank you all for your love, your support, and just for genuinely being here. Um, being a content creator is not easy. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. And being someone who wants to be a mogul, who's currently in a step of being a one-person-ran type of production and function, I definitely appreciate all of the love, the advice, the words of encouragement, and all of the support. So I will see you all next week on another episode. Until next time. Deuces.